in His name today. Good to see you. Appreciate you coming and being here. Uh, would you find the Bible, smartphone, some Bible sometimes uh, underneath the chairs there, but we're going to go to Old Testament passage of 1 Samuel chapter 17. It is a familiar story. We're going to be reading verses 40 to 50 today. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 to 50. Appreciate you being here. Busy time of uh, this year, I guess, and uh, summertime. And so it's busy for you. It's busy for our church. We had our uh, children's camp this past week. They came back in. They're going to be hearing a little report, visual report, I think, maybe at the end of the service. We have another group going out this week, heading out. Tuesday for a mission trip. Maybe hear more about that, but uh, got about a dozen of our youth and adults who are going to be part of the mission uh, trip in San Antonio. And uh, so we're going to be praying for them. In fact, if you're going on that mission trip, we'd love to pray for you. Would you just stand up if you're going on the mission trip? We've got several of them around, I think, today. And we're going to pray for you all. Appreciate you being here. Let's, uh, let's, some are already standing. Oh, there's three or four in the back. They're already standing, so we'll pray for them as well. Let's bow together and pray for this team going out today. Thank you, Father, for uh, opportunities that you give us to be a part of ministry and missions. Uh, we thank you for these who are heading out this week, Father, and we pray for them as they'll be joining other believers in San Antonio to be able to share the gospel uh, to be able to invite people to a big event so that the gospel will be shared. And uh, we thank you for the impact that it's going to have on that large city, but also the impact upon our teenagers and our adults who are going. And we pray your watch care blessings upon them, Father. We pray uh, certainly that uh, you will uh, keep them safe on the road. You'll watch over them while they are gone, be with their health. We pray, Father, that they will see open doors uh, to be able to share the good news of Jesus wherever they go. We thank you, Father, for the, this opportunity for many to be able to hear the good news of Jesus. And uh, we pray that there will be many come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, uh, for what you have been doing this summer and continuing to work with our camps and mission trips and other activities and ministries that are taking place. All this we turn over to you. And we uh, help pray that your name will be glorified and exalted in all things. Lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You may see, be seated. seated. Thank you so much. And uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is our passage for today as we uh, are continuing our series within a series about He's Still King with a focus on David in these days and these weeks. Verse 40 says, Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in the shepherd, his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone 
sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was not a sword in David's hand. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Um, it was one month ago today, Roe v. Wade was overturned that had given women a constitutional right to have an abortion in the first two trimesters over the last 50 years. The matter and the decisions, as you know, has now been turned over to the states. Most Americans who are alive today have not lived in a country whereby abortion was not considered a constitutional right by federal law. Until one month ago today, the United States had one of the most permissive abortion policies in the world. While this is the end of to federal abortion rights, it's just the beginning for Bible-believing Christ followers to show love and let the world know what we are for instead of what we are against. We need to be part of the solution, not just pointing to the problem. We applaud those who are, have foster homes and Christian families who are adopting. We partner with women's and Christ-centered family advocacy groups who help pregnant women and parents and kids at risk. This year, because of your faithfulness in giving and because of God's grace, we will be giving to uh, Women's Hope Medical Clinic approximately 10 times more than we have ever given before in any year past. This is a good time to support the right to life and protect the unborn, to show love, support, and good and wise counsel for mothers and parents. Do, do not be afraid to stand on biblical principles. Do not be afraid to show Christ's love and to God's, honor God's name in every way possible. And recognize in whatever decisions we make and whatever we do as individuals or as a church that all three of these things need to fall into place, into line. Biblical values, Christ-like love, and honoring the name of Jesus. Last month I also had the opportunity and thank you for the privilege of attending the Southern Baptist Convention of which we are definitely a part and great supporters, especially in the mission effort to be able to share Jesus in our own nation and around the world. And uh, Southern Baptists are still the largest Protestant denomination in the country with over 14 million members and 48,000 churches. There was at the convention a few tense moments, many uh, questions and discussion and resolutions, but by far the positive outweighed any negative. The focus this year was centered on a task force that had been appointed the year previously on sexual abuse in the convention and a report that came out just days before the convention. Time does not warrant a complete report today, but I left the convention convinced that the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention want to get this right with no sense of cover-up, but instead a plan in place to help churches and individuals to protect and to recover from sexual abuse in any way that honors God and shows love, including a database in which confirmed abusers would be shared with churches of the convention and help to those who are victims of abuse. The SBC is not moving away from the biblical values or the mission to be able to reach the world for Christ. And while today, while many churches and many individuals are pushing away from denominationalism, even from the Southern Baptist Convention, as your pastor and as one of your representatives, I feel instead that we need to be even more involved in the Baptist Convention, that we need to be involved in 
the International Mission Board and sharing Jesus around the world, North American Mission Board and sharing Jesus in our own nation. And we need to have opportunities to know and to go. Next year, the Southern Baptist Convention is in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, as always, there will be a two or three day, what they call a crossover event, uh, before the convention begins. And I think we ought to make it available for Parkway members to be involved in Christian block parties and food distribution and evangelism, refurbishing neighborhoods and churches. You let me know if you want to be involved in one of these events. Uh, this year they had crossover Anaheim. As the convention was in Anaheim, California, in those two or three days, 547 prayed to receive Christ with those who were part of crossover. Uh, Alabama Baptists are in partnership with Alaskan Baptists for the next several years. In 2023, we'll be looking for opportunities to come alongside some struggling small churches or communities and provide for churches and events where the gospel will be shared, probably in some remote areas in Alaska. And if that gets your juices flowing or something you might want to be a part of, you let us know. I have come away from many of the events that have been happening in our church and our convention and around uh, our country and even around the world, re-energized not to criticize but to be more of a hands-on part of the working happenings in our community around the world so that we might be able to share the good news. And I want you to join me in this effort. The theme of the convention was, the theme of the convention is Jesus at the center of it all. This also goes along with our theme for today and our very familiar story in the Old Testament. If I were to ask you to name some of the most familiar stories in the Old Testament, well, you might name Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You might mention some of the most popular that people know, maybe Noah and the flood, maybe the story of Abraham or Moses or the Israelites uh, coming out of Egypt, maybe about Daniel in the lion's den or the fiery furnace. But I would suppose that probably among the top ten Maybe even in the top five or less, those who are inside and outside the church would be the story of David and Goliath. Well, what possibly could I teach you new about the story of David and Goliath? Well, maybe nothing new. Maybe it is that we just need to be reminded about the story of faith and courage and with God that nothing is impossible. Maybe we need to come today and recognize that there's something new to learn perhaps from this story or... Sometimes we know a story, it's a story we love, it piques our interest to hear it again. Or maybe there are some details we forget. Or as it is often the case with me in reading a story that I've read many times before, when I pay attention to it, the Lord always has something new to show me. I would say that there's a clue in this, uh, clues in the chapter for which the Lord meant for this to be an important chapter, as well as a very well-known chapter there. Lots of drama in the story of David and Goliath, even if you've heard it before, know its conclusion. There are lots of, because of the details and the particulars given, the, how tall the giant is, the size, how much his spear weighs, even the number of stones that David picks up. The writer, ultimately, God is the author. He wants to take up space and time to tell you certain things that may be important so that we might be able to get the full picture and we might be able to make the right application. Now, David. He was going to be king of Israel. He's introduced to us in chapter 15, the youngest son of Jesse of Bethlehem. And in this chapter, in chapter 17, we have the very first words written which David spoke. Surely he was speaking before them, but the first time they've been written in Scripture is in this chapter. And you always want to pay attention to volume in the Bible. 
40 chapters having to do with the story of David in the Old Testament. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it's one of the longest as far as the number of uh, verses, the number of words that are written. We read just a portion of it. So this is a familiar passage. And it's an important passage, important message with a message, I believe, for each one of us. And it's not by accident that it's the story of David and Goliath that we have here today on this particular Sunday and that you're here on this particular Sunday. And the Lord has allowed us to come and to be able to look at this very passage believing that He has something for us. If these things are true, then what a reason for you to be pay attention to what God would have to tell you today through His Word. You have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain. So let's talk about lessons for the followers of Jesus what we can learn from the Old Testament story of David and Goliath. And let's begin with what should be considered a really good lesson from the story. Location of the event that took place was in the Valley of Ella. And in the Valley of Ella, it's about a mile wide valley and there's a mountain or hill on one side, the mountain or hill on the other side. And if you go there today, you can probably still envision two armies, one encamped on one and one on the other. And in that day, they could be a mile apart. They could see one another, but they could not do battle a mile away, particularly with swords and spears and maybe not even bows and arrows. But the long-standing enemy of Israel, the Philistines, had encroached on Israeli territory to pick a fight, and there was no ignoring them. And the outcome of this particular battle was probably going to determine who was going to be in control of the land as well as the, who was going to be serving whom when this battle is over. Saul is the king of Israel at this time. While the Philistines had not lost every battle, Saul had proven a formidable foe, but to intimidate and to humiliate the Israelite army every day, the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, the giant, came out in morning and evening with a taunt. He walked into the valley and his words echoed from one hillside to the other. Why have you come here, he said, if not to do battle? We are Philistines and you are the soldiers of Saul. Choose one man to come and fight me. And if I take him on and I kill him, then the rest of you will be the servants of the Philistines. But if you come and he conquers me and kills me, then we will be your servants. Mano el mano, man to man, winner take all. Well, now that's a paraphrase of what Goliath said. But now did he really mean that? Well, we find obviously not because time we get to the end of what's going to take place, the, all of the Philistines are running in fear. Paul, But Saul and the rest of the army of Israel, when they heard these words and they saw Goliath, they were terrified. Not just anxious, but shaking in their sandals and retreated in their encampment all the more. Now the writer of 1 Samuel goes into great detail to let us know the size of the giant and wants to paint a picture for us. The giant who is almost 10 feet tall. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about four giants in 2 Samuel and about how David's men killed those giants. And I asked the question, what happened to all the giants? Well, they're all disappearing here. But more than one of you came to me later and said, you almost shouted out. And I said, what happened to all the giants? They're all playing in the NBA right now. But here we have 10 feet tall, even taller than the tallest. 10 feet tall would be about be where the goal would be. He's wearing a helmet of bronze, 125-pound armor. A bronze javelin, a spear with a head that weighed 15 pounds. And he has his own shield bearer, another soldier. 
obviously shorter than him, but one who comes and carries his shield. And for 40 days, Goliath continued to give daily talks to Israel, and no one was willing to go and fight, including King Saul, whom we are told was head and shoulders above everyone else and all the other soldiers who were in Israel had proven himself a great warrior, particularly when the Spirit of God was with King Saul, but we're told in the previous chapter that the Spirit of God had left Saul. So Saul has some legitimate fear that's taking place because he's been told and he knows that the Spirit of the Lord is no longer with him. So here's King Saul. Battle lines are drawn. Instead of leading his army into victory or fighting Goliath himself, He's cowering behind the line. So desperate is he that he gives a reward, offers a reward for anybody who will go and fight Goliath. Obviously, to keep the reward, you would have to have uh, conquered Goliath. But the reward was, one was his daughter in marriage, and she must have been a looker. We hear about her later. An unspecified amount of money and riches. And third, no, that family, his family, whoever fought, would never have to pay taxes again. As you know, nobody stepped up to claim the reward. In Saul's case, it was not do as I do, but do as I bribe you to do. For 40 days, Goliath continued to come out. For 40 days, they continued to wait and not go into battle. Can't you hear the soldiers talking around the campfire at night? Well, that money's not going to do me a lot of good if I'm dead. It's going to be hard to collect, or what good does it do not to have to pay taxes if your toes are sticking straight up and you're six feet under? It was the talk of cowards, but not of courage. Forty days. I would suspect that they began to get on each other's nerves and maybe began to tear one another down and even talk bad, perhaps, about their leaders. I say, I expect that. Evidence wasn't how David's older brother responds to David when he shows up on the scene. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, David is attending sheep in Bethlehem. You might remember in the previous chapter that David had been already playing music for King Saul whenever this harmful spirit came upon him and the king had made him his armor bearer. So we might wonder how he's taking care of sheep in Bethlehem. But we're told in verse 15, 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 15 said, But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Three of David's older brothers are in the army. Saul's army, they're at the front lines. David, probably not old enough to fight, maybe even a teenager at this point, is sent by his father to take the food to his brothers and to their commander and to come back with a full report. Not sure David ever made it back to make that full report. For when David gets there, their armies were lined up to do battle as they had done every day just as David arrived on what must have been the 40th day. Goliath steps forward with his daily taunts and his proposition of sending one man to fight Goliath, winner take all. Again, it said the second time in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 24. Verse 24 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Forty times. If he did it twice a day, maybe 80 times within these 40 days. All the men except one. Or maybe we could say all the men except one young lad. David, over, David sees this takes place. He overhears the men talking about the reward for the Israelite, for the man who fights and defeats Goliath. Verse 26 of this chapter says, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? One young lad, one young man had courage and showed great faith. So here's a good lesson for you. And it is this, a good lesson for you and me. Have the faith and the courage to face your giants and trust God to give you the victory. The story of David is most often seen as the little guy to succeed in spite of huge obstacles. It's the underdog versus the powerhouse that just about everybody pulls for the underdog, I guess, unless you're an Alabama fan. It's a a real-life parable to anyone who challenges a strong adversary. But this is not just a fluke. It's not a happenstance. Once in a lifetime. It's about trusting God with your biggest problems and your everyday circumstances. Jesus cares about your greatest challenge and your smallest problem and wants to use all for His purposes. Those who demonstrate great faith and have courage to follow Jesus and be obedient to Him may be among the minority. It's a prayer that I've often prayed for my family and for those who are close to me. Lord, help us to know the difference between the right and wrong. Help us to be able to distinguish what is good and what is bad. And then help us to have the courage to choose what is right and what is best. Now David had already proven himself in much smaller ways as a son, shepherd, and the servant in the king's court. He's ready to be faithful in the face of a much larger task. Prove yourself faithful in the small and the tall demands of life. Knowing it's not about your abilities, but it's about the power and the presence of God in your life through Jesus. New Testament verse, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Also, that many people know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For some of you, you've told me this is your favorite verse or it's your life verse. It's a worthy mantra for the Christian life. But here's a word of caution. Be sure what is attempted is His plan and not yours. His way and not your way. I can do all things through Christ, meaning as a part of His agenda for you. As you walk with Him and as you draw close to Him, and as you draw closer every day, your desires will become more like Him. Well, I think this is a good lesson. I think if you've come today and if you're looking for a good lesson from this particular passage, well, certainly you have found one today. But before you check out, There is a great lesson for those who want to go a little bit deeper. Maybe want to learn a little bit more as followers of Jesus. Now David is speaking up and he's asking questions about who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defy the army of the living God. And there's a clue here that he's not going to stand around and let God's name or the army of the living God be insulted. His oldest brother overhears this conversation David is having with some of the men. And he tries to discourage his zealousness for doing what is right. He questions his motives. Your purpose here is evil, he even says. You've come here maybe just to see the battle, maybe see some bloodshed take place. Go home and take care of your little sheep. Well, that sounds kind of like a brother sometimes, doesn't it? David's oldest brother may have been jealous. After all, he was overlooked. He was not anointed as the king of Israel. Had to sting some that it was his youngest brother to be that was anointed to be king. Or maybe, just maybe they'd been there for 40 days and lined up to do battle every day only to be ridiculed and retreat in fear. Well, let me ask you, do you have a giant or do you have a problem in your life? Retreating in fear again and again and again is probably not going to make you a nice person. It's not going to make you more like Jesus. Well, today, 
We're going to learn a great lesson to help us not to retreat in fear any longer. We, we're going to find a better motivation. I was uh, talking with a young pastor not long ago who's experienced the pains of uh, learning the ropes of being a pastor, which is something that I'm still learning. And not, not really large problems in the church, but lots of minor things that seem to be made larger than they really are. Some who kind of seem to be unhappy with the least amount of change, or maybe even some who like the way the last pastor did things. And I told him, well, welcome to ministry. I did say, I'm probably the only pastor that is able to pastor a church to where there are no complaints and the pastor is always right. I'm glad it's not thunder and lightning today. I did tell him, the church, all churches need to have a vision. They have to understand the important things and what is most important about a church and the direction in which the church is going, and then when they understand the importance and the significance of the direction and the mission and the purpose of the church, there doesn't mean there's still not going to be complaints, but they pale in comparison. They seem very insignificant to the most important purpose of the church that people can rally around. And this is the purpose. We must glorify God in all things. His name is to be exalted above all else. So here's the great lesson for you and me today. The lesson... I believe that is the great lesson from the passage and the story of David and the Goliath that is in all things and always exalt and glorify the name of Jesus. It's why we exist as a church. It's why you have been saved. It's what you were created for so that we might be able to glorify His name. We sang about it today. We sang about exalting the name of Jesus. Somebody overhears David's conversations and questions and his readiness to fight Goliath and they bring him to King Saul. Saul takes one look and says, you're only a youth. The champion, Goliath, why he's been a warrior since before you were born. David tells him in verses 36 and 37, among other things, he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Not sure how much confidence Saul had at this time. But did you notice when David arrives on the scene, the army of Israel, they're lined up in battle formation. For 40 days, they have lined up as if ready to go to battle. But when Goliath gives his twice daily taunt, they cower in fear. They look as if they are ready to go to war, but there is no battle. That'd be like those who meet in church every Sunday for worship and study and sing praises to Jesus, talk about the attributes of God while they're on the church campus, and look as if they are in battle formation, ready to fight the good fight and win the world for Jesus. But the first hint that the world is against them, they cower in the fear that their neighbors will know that they're believers in Jesus. And instead of living and looking like Jesus and bringing honor to His holy name, we turn and choose not to be obedient. Or worse, we look like we love the world more than we love Jesus. We look like we're following uh, the ways of this world instead of looking like the children of the living God. Above all else, His name is to be glorified. Well, let's give a word of clarity. And that is this. God answers prayers always for your benefit and for His glory. You have a giant in your life. You've got a problem in your life. We'll take it to Jesus. Well, wouldn't it be nice if all of our giants 
got hit right between the eyes and fell immediately. So why does it seem that sometimes some prayers are not answered quickly? We're not pretending to know all the answers or all the mysteries of God's timing and how He answers prayers, but we must trust that God is always at work. And it is for our benefit that we might be more like Jesus, and it is always for His glory. David was willing to try on Saul's armor and perhaps be ready to use his sword. And he realized quickly this was not for him, at least not yet. Reminding us that God's ways are not our ways and that the nation of Israel under David's rule would not be like it was under King Saul. So David took what he knew. He took his staff, the shepherd's staff, and he went by the brook and he picked up five smooth stones from the brook, put it into his shepherd's bag and went to face Goliath. When Goliath saw David, he looked on him with contempt. He despised David. Maybe because he was young. Maybe because he was handsome. And he said, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? He cursed him. And he said, today I'll feed your dead body to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the fields. What does your giant tell you? You're no good. There is no hope. Things will never change. Nobody cares about you. Don't believe your giant. Listen to the voice and the words of our Lord who cares for you and always has a plan and a purpose. In fact, David says, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. <laughs> Did you notice the plural? He said, Today, not only you, but all of God's enemies who are on this field they will be fed to the birds and to the beast of the fields. Today, all the world will know. How did David know that we'd still be talking about it today? All the world will know, not just the name of David, but that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly, all the assembly who are standing there today, all of our assembly, and in verse 47 it says, and that the Lord saves. What do you, what do you think? Can you move to the next level? And that is from just praying, Lord, I've got a problem. I'd like for you to do something with it. Help me through this. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But can you move to the next level to where it also includes, Lord, through whatever crisis or problem I'm going through, may your name be glorified. May it be that whatever I'm going through today, whatever we're going through, may it be that we might be able to point the world to Jesus. Big problems and small problems. Well, it's a great lesson to be learned. And it gets us closer to the best lesson. For in order for us to be able to find the best lesson, we need to see a little bit bigger picture. We've got to look back a little bit, and then we've got to look forward. We're going to look back to the time of Joshua, and we're going to look forward to the time, of course, of Jesus and what He did for us on the cross and His resurrection. In Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites, they have left Egypt, and they're about to cross over into the promised land. And look what God promised. Joshua 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon... I've given to you just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river to the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. He says it as if it has already happened, as if it is a sure promise. And for David and the Israelites, the victory is assured as long as they trust in God. As you know, the Israelites were not always faithful. They were not always having trust. We even see that here. Thus, there are enemies who are still in the land. Some of those were uh, the Philistines. 
As a New Testament follower of Jesus, the stories in the Old Testament always to be read and learned in light of what Jesus Christ taught us and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Most of the time when we read this story, we like to put ourselves in the story. We might like to think, boy, we sure would like to be like David. Oh, to have the faith to face our giants. But the good lesson that we talked about and the great lesson, those could almost be learned without even thinking about Jesus. But when you put Jesus in the story, you get a little bit different picture. Do you see Jesus in the story? He's certainly not Goliath. He's not Saul. He's not the soldiers of Saul. No, we're more like the soldiers facing our biggest giant that we cannot defeat on our own or without help unless someone else comes along. And like David, Jesus is sent by the Father. And He's come to rescue us. Jesus, who was questioned and ridiculed by His Jewish brethren, faced alone the biggest giant in our world. With one death blow and with the resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan and He sets us free from sin for all who will follow Him. And Jesus provides hope for today and heaven for eternity. So here's the best lesson for you, the best lesson for me today. Jesus defeated our biggest giant, bully, the biggest enemy with his death on the cross and the resurrection. And because of that, victory over all battles is assured in his hands. Compared to the giant that Jesus defeated, that conquered sin, Satan, and death, all other problems are no problem to him. So no matter, so no matter how big they seem to us, we know that we can place these into his hands. Joshua chapter 18, the people were slow to conquer, conquer and to claim victory over the promised land that was taking place. Joshua chapter 18 and verse 3, Joshua said to the people of Israel, How long will you put off going in to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? See, there's no reason to live a defeated life any longer. If in Christ... You know Jesus and you know that He has already taken care of your biggest giant. You can trust Him with all others. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, and you live in this world, you've got problems. I'm pretty sure that's true of everyone who lives in this world. It's the thing that we all have in common. The difference for those who are in Jesus is victory is already assured. So if you don't know Jesus Christ today, you're here today listening live stream. Place your faith in Jesus today. It's okay that you do it so that you might be able to go to heaven. It's okay that you do it because victory can be assured. You can ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins and ask Christ to come in even now. I want you to watch what the army of Israel did after the biggest giant had fallen. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 52. The very first part of that verse said, All the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. Let's make that a New Testament application because we have a worthy charge. Victory is assured in Christ for your usefulness in God's kingdom. See, the Lord does want to give you victory over all of your giants and over all of your problems. It is so that you might be useful and you might become a servant of the living God as well. 1 Samuel 17, 52 says, All the men of Israel and Judah arose with a shout and pursued the Philistines. After David had defeated the giants, they were ready to follow him. After Jesus has now defeated our greatest giant, given us life in Christ, we want to be ready to follow Him. Instead of pursuing Philistines, we're to be making disciples and we're pursuing people. 
It is what Jesus said after the death. And there is, after his death and resurrection, just before the ascension, Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. May we be ready to follow. It is still the most asked question about the story of David and Goliath, at least for me, that people ask, why did David pick up five stones when he only used one? Now, it's only speculation, and a lot of, you've probably heard a lot of the answers. Well, Goliath must have had four brothers. There are four other giants show up in 2 Samuel as well. I've heard some say, and I kind of like this, well, the five stones represented hope, faith, love, joy, and peace, and that's what we need to throw at our giants. Well, why not? Throw those at the giants. It would be okay. But I think David perhaps did not even know that he was going to take care of that giant in one stone. But I think the reason was, and what we can understand for that, that our Lord is able to do immeasurably and incredibly more than we have ever asked thought, or imagine. May His name be glorified. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your watch care over us. We thank You for Your faithfulness. We thank You that our greatest giant has been defeated. We thank You for what Jesus Christ has done. We thank You for the story of David and Goliath proving to us that we can place our faith in You. And we thank you and we pray that you may give us courage. That we might be able to every day get up ready to serve you, ready to do the right thing, knowing that you are able to bring down the giants and the problems in our life. And we can turn all things over to you. We thank you, Father, that you can make us useful in your kingdom, ready to serve you. We pray that it may first and foremost happen from the inside. You might change our hearts and then it may be able to be seen in the things that we say and what we do with our hands and our feet. And other people might be able to see Jesus in us. We pray, Father, for those who may be here today or those who are listening today that may not have Jesus as their Savior or they may be unsure. Today they can be sure. Because of what Christ has provided, may they call upon you, solidifying that they have a relationship with Jesus through forgiveness of sin, by your grace and through faith. Thank you for how you continue to be at work. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand?